in Hebrews chapter 5, from verse 11 down to verse 14. And it does link into verse 10, so I'll just read verse 10. Called of God, a high priest after the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he's a babe. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. So that's the reading, and out of context, um, that might seem a wee bit strange, and we'll just fill in some of the context um, as we come to this. Now, this is um, part of the flow of thought through this big book of Hebrews. And this big book of Hebrews, as we've been saying every time we come to the start of it, is to do with uh, a letter written to Christians with a Jewish background primarily. And they had come away from all the externality and all the the visual and sensual things of that religious system. And they had left that behind and they had come to the Lord Jesus Christ and trusted him as their saviour. So it was a dramatic difference. It affected their diet, it affected their, their weekly routine, it affected all the externals of the rules and regulations that their whole life had actually been kind of disciplined by and they've left that and now they've come to Christ and they don't have a temple to go to there's not an external priesthood to wear special clothes they don't have a prescribed diet anymore as they once did and they've lost all of that and they now are um, simply trusting in Christ and living for Christ without all these things round about it now the persecution had come upon these Christians and they were being tempted to go back to what they'd left behind. And so the purpose of this book is to encourage those Christians to keep on going, not to look back. And for those who are not yet Christians, the, the, the challenge is that what there is in Christ is actually the fulfilment of all of the things that were prefigured and anticipated in the Old Testament. So there's the kind of dual audience Um, that he's referring to and sometimes it's difficult just to be clear who are the specific people he has in mind when he's delivering some of the truth now in all of this book there are five little uh, parenthetical five little sections that you might want to put brackets around where he stops giving information and then he brings a real challenge to bear so he's delivering all of this information Uh, and information that we've looked at already about the Lord Jesus, about the superiority of Christ, about how what in the Old Testament anticipated and was fulfilled in Christ. So there's lots of material given, and then he stops, and he brings a challenge. And he does it five times throughout this epistle. And he does so because he wants it not just to be a flow of information, but he wants them to feel the challenge, to take the challenge, to to respond to the challenge of what he's delivering. Which, by the way, is always the case when we listen to Bible teaching. Bible teaching should not be, Bible teaching should never be just the delivering and receiving of information. It should be that we consider what we hear, feel the weight of it, feel the challenge of it, consider where we need to make adjustments in our own life in accordance with what we've heard. And there should be that bite, there should be that challenge 
to the ministry. And he's been, he's been instructing them to do things up until this point right through these epistles. So, for example, in chapter 2 and verse 1, he said to them, pay close attention to the message you're hearing lest you drift away. In chapter 3 and verse 1, he says, consider Jesus. In chapter 3, verse 8, he says, don't harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness. And in verse 12 of chapter 3, he says, take care lest any of you have in you an evil heart of unbelief. Challenge after challenge after challenge. Chapter 4, verse 1, he says, fear lest you fall or fail to enter into God's rest. And in chapter 4 and verse 14, he says, hold fast to your confession. So there are all of these challenges that he's already brought to bear upon the people who's reading this. Consider, pay close attention, don't harden your heart, take care, fear, be diligent, hold fast. Lots of actions that he's instructing them to put into practice. Now, why is he saying all of that? Because there is an underlying position amongst his readers, amongst his audience. And it's introduced to us in this section. And he wants to combat this underlying condition in those who are listening or reading to what he's delivering. Now, what he's going to say is just this. Behind all of these exhortations, pay close attention, consider, don't harden your heart, fear, be diligent, hold fast. These are all the symptoms and the prescription because of this underlying condition that he describes here as dullness of hearing. Now, I'm accused of being dull of hearing sometimes or being selectively dull of hearing. Some of you may be stricken with the same thing, I don't know, and you, you get told that you're stone deaf or stone deaf, and it's maybe true, <coughs> but that's not actually what he's speaking about. He's using the idea of the physical dullness of hearing to speak about a spiritual dullness of hearing. And he's using the physical to illustrate the spiritual as he often does. So let's look into this section. That's the context of the section. So this is a challenging section. We want to be challenged here tonight. We want to see the direct interpretation of this passage and then we want to see how that can be applied to us in our day in this place with our context and feel the challenge of it for us so notice then who is he addressing well notice in chapter 5 and verse 1 that he has described his audience the readers as being hard to teach because they are dull of hearing and then in verse number uh, 13, he describes them as being babes. Now, not in the kind of colloquial sense of being a very attractive female, but rather in the idea of someone who completely lacks maturity. That's what he's speaking about. So we'll see that when we come to it. And then he says here in, in verse number uh, 4, he says, they in chapter 6 and verse 4, the people that I'm writing to are people who've been enlightened, who've tasted of the heavenly gift and have been made a partaker of the Holy Spirit. That's in verse number 4. And then in verse number 5, he said that these are the people who have tasted the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Nice to see you. You'll get a mention on this uh, recording. I know it's a very terrible night, so it's good to see you. We're in Hebrews 5, um, still in the introduction. Uh, verse number 11 down to verse number 14. 
And then in chapter 6 and verse 5, he says that another thing that's characteristic of these people that I'm referring to are people who've tasted of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. Verse 6, people who have been brought to repentance. So he's got lots of descriptive terms to describe these people. We are restricting ourselves to the end of chapter 5. So he says this, of whom, let's work our way down the verses, of whom, now what's he speaking about? Well, he's speaking about the thing that he introduced in verse number 10 and previous to that, in fact, right up to the beginning of chapter 5. Now, if you like your grammar, some of you do, some of you don't, the pronoun here is neuter and not masculine. So he's not referring to Melchizedek, the person, but he's rather referring to the whole idea in verse 10 that the Lord is a priest after the order of Melchizedek of whom? So he's saying, what I've introduced you to in verse 10, I now want to take up and say something about that. So what did he introduce us to? Well, he introduced us to this great truth. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the Christian's great high priest. Now he's going to develop that as we go on. And these Jewish people had this new concept. They had always thought about priests as those who were up at the temple in Jerusalem, those who came from Aaron and the Levitical uh, uh, line of priesthood in the Old Testament. They wore this, the, the clothes, they were involved in the sacrificial offerings, uh, and they had this kind of circuit that they went up um, on their turn to do their services at the temple. That's what they were thought of in terms of a priesthood. People who represented the people before God and people who represented God before the people. People who stood between the people and God and who administered the sacrificial system. And now they've been told the Lord Jesus Christ is our great high priest. But he's a great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, who's a character in the Old Testament, the book of Genesis. And he develops that in chapter 7, but he mentions it here. And he says, I've got a lot to say about this. Of whom? This was so important. You see, the priesthood was critical to the Jew and the practice of Judaism. It was absolutely critical. And in terms of Christianity, the Lord Jesus Christ in his priestly ministry is critical for us as Christians. Cannot diminish the importance of it. We are here living here upon earth and the Lord Jesus Christ is in heaven today and he's ministering on our behalf. He is our great high priest. He'll expand that and show his ministry and how critical it is. But you and I, we could not, we should not, we could not get through day-to-day existence of living a sanctified, pure, holy life for God without the ministry of the Lord Jesus as our great high priest, whether we know it or not. He's absolutely critical for us. So this was a big deal. This was a big thing. The Jews had come away from the priesthood and they had come to Christ and he's their great high priest. He says, I've got lots to say to you about this. He says it's not going to be easy. And you say, probably say, well, none of Hebrews is easy. And that's true. He says it is hard to be uttered. Now, that doesn't mean that the words are difficult to say, like Melchizedek. I mean, if I was 
in a school, I would just say to someone, I've just caught your attention, Duncan, I'd just say, spell Melchizedek, and then you go in a flap. Um, if that was me. And so it's not the idea of the word being hard to say, but the truth being hard to communicate. So this is not stuff that you're just going to get like that. This is not stuff that you just say and don't give any thought or consideration. And mind you, listen, so much of Bible teaching is like that. We think we've got it with a first reading or a superficial reading, and then you go and you listen to someone else or you pick up a book and you think, whoa, there's a whole lot there I never got. And then you go back to it again and you discover there's a whole other level I didn't get. And in fact, you discover this, that the older Christians, the more mature spiritual Christians, when they speak about scriptures in the 70s and 80s, they're still discovering things in the scriptures. You see, not all biblical truth is superficial, surface, and can just be comprehended in an instant, which goes against our whole way of thinking these days. Short time attention. Used to have a friend who spoke about the attention of a fruit fly, and sometimes that's like us. So little attention. I read this in my daily reading um, the other day there in the devotional little section that goes with the book that I read, and it challenged me and it stuck in my head. And um, when I come to the Bible, do I behave like a butterfly or do I behave like a botanist or do I behave like a bee? It just appealed to me. Because the butterfly flits between all it doesn't really get any benefit from it, and is in this section reading verses and then reads verse over in the psalm and then decides to go into the book of Proverbs and pick up a couple of Proverbs and then he'll flash over to Luke and read a chapter in Luke and he's all over the place. No system. The botanist is different. He comes to the scriptures as someone who's going to study them, take notes and write it all down in a book. And he's going to learn all about it, become really knowledgeable about it, but he never tastes He never tastes the sweetness. He doesn't get any sustenance from that which he is studying. The bee is very different. The bee goes right into the flower. The bee is sustained by the flower itself and leaves the flower with part of the flower. You see, that's what we should be like as Christians, that we should come to the Scriptures, get right into the Scriptures and allow the Scripture in us and actually leave the Scriptures with something. Not just knowledge about them, not just studying it or reading it, not just observing and not flitting all over the place, but seriously taking the Bible as God's resource for us to provide us with sustenance and to provide us with that sweetness of Christ that we can take away from it. So he says, these things I want to tell you about Melchizedek, they are not easy. They are, one literal translation says, hard of interpretation to be spoken. It's hard to make this teaching intelligible, especially to you, he says. Why? Look at the word seeing. Of whom we have many things to say and hard to be uttered. So he's got a lot to say. It's not going to be easy. And he says, especially. Seeing. Here's the reason why it's going to be hard, particularly to communicate to this group. Because of their spiritual condition. There's an interesting general point. That my spiritual condition will impact the effectiveness of what I listen to and read. 
It does not change the value of what I listen to and read. It does not change the intrinsic quality of what is delivered to me or what I read or what I gain from Scripture by whatever means I do that, whether it's listening to Bible teaching, whether it's podcasts, or whether it's reading a book, or whether it's just reading the Scriptures, whatever way it is, it doesn't change, my spiritual condition doesn't change the objective value and significance of that. But it does change the impact of it in here. It does change the effectiveness of it in me. And these people, he says, this is going to be really hard. Not because the truth itself is diminished, but rather your spiritual condition is going to make the effectiveness of this teaching harder. He says, seeing, now notice this, because every little expression here is interesting. Seeing ye are. Seeing you are. You are. Actually, literally, in some translations, I think the ESV has it this way, you have become. You have become. So they had not always been in that condition. It's the perfect tense, which means that it was a process which was completed in the past and has lingering effects in the present. Something happened to you, he said. Something happened. And you now have been affected by that. So that when the word of God is to be communicated to you, there's something happened to you that's making that more difficult. I would suggest that that's a challenge for all of us. Have we become dull of hearing? We'll look at that in a second. Was it better before? When you got to the Bible, was it easier to get to the Bible? There's our starting point. You know, sometimes it's as if the Bible is toxic and you don't want to touch it. Sometimes that the Bible could sit untouched for a week, two weeks, a month, literally, not a page opened. It's possible that we've never read the Bible for ourselves. We've never applied ourselves, thought it important. It's just, you know, you're, you're kind of, you've got a general familiarity with what the Bible says in some areas, but you've never actually read it for yourself. And so the danger is when someone grows up, for example, with the Bible um, listening, going to lots of, of meetings, church services, and hearing lots of things through childhood right up into adulthood, and also perhaps in the home and around friends, it's possible for you never actually to have read the words yourself. So he says this, this is the challenge. Do we find scripture less or making less of an impact than once it did? For these people, he says, it's because you have become dull of hearing. Right, let's unpack these words, dull. Let's use one other time, I think, in the New Testament. And you can read that in chapter 6, verse 11 and verse 12. You'll probably see it on the same page of your open Bible. And it says this, And we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end, that ye be not, here's my one of my favourite authorised translation words, slothful. There's a whole study in the book of Proverbs about the sloth, by the way. 
It's one of the characters in the Proverbs, and you can do a wee study on that if you dare. <clears throat> so that word is the same word. <clears throat> so what he's saying is that the opposite of dullness is diligence. So sometimes it helps us understand the word when you get the opposite word. So diligence, dullness. But can I get the idea there? They are opposites. So dullness of hearing. Used one other time in the book of Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse number 2. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. So he said, good news, the gospel came to us, but was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. So that the word went in the ears, probably got down to the heart, but meets absolute dullness and slowness and hardness. It's now wading through mud. Another Saturday there, uh, Shane and I were going up this hill, and I thought it would be a good idea to jump from one kind of boulder um, onto a nice dry bit. And went in right down, up past my knees, in mud. And Shem thought it was hilarious. It may well have been, not to me, because the mud was in my shoes. It was excellent everywhere. And before long, you could it was like peeling icing off a cake. You could just peel it off all around you. Anyway, that being said, uh, walking, getting out of that, getting actually physically getting out of it, is a symbol, a picture, if you like, of what our hearts are like sometimes. It's like wading through mud. Dullness of hearing. Now, actually, the opposite of dullness of hearing would be diligence of faith. The Lord Jesus spoke about this sort of thing in Luke chapter 8 and verse 18. He just told the parable of the sower. And after he told the parable of the sower, he, he said this, Take heed, therefore, not what you hear, but how you hear. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given. Whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken, even that which he seemeth to have. So the idea is this, same as here. The one who is graced to hear will receive more grace. The one who does not either, i.e. is dull or hard of hearing, then what he already has, he will lose. So this is the challenge here. He says, listen, I'm trying to communicate things to you, but actually you're so dull of hearing that you're not able to take it on board. You're not able to receive it. Now he expands that. Look at the next verse, verse, verse 12. And the connecting word, for. So for when the time, for when for the time you ought to be teachers... Now, here's the expectation of the teacher. So he's saying, I'm delivering this truth. And here's my expectation. It's time, it's time that there was a change. It's time there was a change. Now, when he uses the word time there, it's not time in the terms of epoch or age or, or time in God's program. He's not speaking about a eschatological eschatological expression he's he's speaking literally about how long you have had this teaching and there's been no change so because of the length of time you have been under the instruction of teaching he says you yourself ought to be doing the teaching 
Now, there's a challenge to it. Sometimes we think that we should always be receivers and not transmitters. So we should always be getting spoon-fed. We should always be getting provided for. And that's the way you may have been for a long time. He said, you have actually been taught for a long time. Where is the change? He was expecting the change to have taken place. Now, if you take that into the natural sphere, because very often maturity, spiritual maturity, is illustrated by the physical maturing of a, of a baby into, into adulthood and that process. If it was the case <coughs> that you were being taught the same thing for a long time and there was no change, then that would be an indicator of a problem. It would be flagged. I mean, let's get right to the basics. If you have a problem with your language or your arithmetic or whatever, and you're getting taught the same things, but that you are not actually demonstrating a change in understanding, that is a flag. It's an indicator there's an issue here, there's a problem here. Well, that's exactly what he's saying. If you make no spiritual progress, if you're being taught and you're not learning, then that is a flag. There's a problem here. He says, in fact, rather than go on into divine truth, he says, the teachers are going to have to go back to the ABCs again. For he says, for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, you have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, you need taught again first principles. Again, you've had them taught to you, and you've had them taught again, and again, and again. And the teacher is saying, I'm going to have to go back over this stuff again. Again. There's a problem here. In grammar, this expression, principle, speaks about the ABCs. In physics, it speaks about the four basic elements of earth. In geometry, and you realize I'm quoting here, in geometry, it speaks of the basic of proof, like the point in the straight line. In philosophy, it's used to speak of the elementary principles for the students who begin philosophy classes. The word always refers to basic principles. This is the beginning. Now, what would you and I consider to be the basic principles of Christianity? There's a challenge to us. The ABCs. Surely, surely the truth of the gospel. Surely the doctrines of the gospel. The whole basis of our salvation. Perhaps God's expectation of our moral compass. Would we know that? If you did not have the Christians round about you, where would you take your baselines from? If you lived with no Christians round about you, would you base your moral decisions on a subjective feeling 
or would you have from Scripture the baselines of the Bible? These are, these are the challenges. And by the way, these are the ABCs of Christianity. That's not wading into deep water. That's the truth that's been given to us that we require in order to live well for God. And more. The basic principles. He says, you need to be taught the very beginning elements of the oracles of God. Now, what are the oracles of God? Well, remember, and here's the direct interpretation I would judge of this. And there is an application to us, but here's the direct interpretation. But remember, he's speaking to people with a Jewish background who may not yet be converted. (coughs) Or those who've just been converted. And remember this, that those who are coming from Judaism are coming from a God-given religious system. It wasn't paganism, it wasn't idolatry, it was actually God-given, it's the Old Testament. And it was of great value, and there was absolutely nothing wrong with it. It was anticipating the coming of Christ, and it was all of God, inspired of God. But they're coming from what is God-given to something else that's God-given. So it's a unique situation. It's not actually a situation that we share. We don't have that process as Gentiles who become Christians. We don't need to be weaned off what's been given by God to something else that's been given by God. And so when he's writing to these people, there is that different context. The oracles of God. Paul refers to them in Romans chapter 3, verses 1 to 2 in the same context of Judaism, and says then, what advantage hath the Jew? So he's speaking about Jew and Gentile. He says, what advantage was it to be a Jew? What is the value of circumcision? Then he says this, much in every way. To begin with, here's the first point he says, the Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God. And so the Old Testament, it was to the Jewish people, it was to the nation of Israel that God communicated his truth. That was a real blessing. The only people on earth, really, to be the recipients of divine inspired communication. Amazing. The oracles of God. In Acts 7 and verse 38, in the preaching, this is the one who was in the congregation, the wilderness, with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai and with our fathers. He received living oracles to give to us. There's Moses going up the Mount Sinai and coming down with God's communication, God's truth, the Ten Commandments. Again, in the Old Testament, it was referred to in 2 Samuel 16 and verse 23, David and one of his trusted friends, Ahithophel, who betrayed him. It says, And the counsel of Ahithophel, which he counseled in those days, was as if a man had inquired at the oracles of God. And so there, David's counsel that he received from his friend, it was as if God was communicating to him directly. So the oracles of God seem to speak to God's communication in the Old Testament. Now here's the interpretive point. He's saying to these people, you haven't yet understood the basics of what the Old Testament scriptures were pointing forward to and were fulfilled in Christ. You haven't even got to that point yet. We're going to have to go back and show you that these prophecies were fulfilled, that Christ is the answer. He's greater than angels. He's greater than Moses. He's greater than Joshua. He's greater than the law. He's greater than the temple, the tabernacle, the sacrifices, the covenant. He's greater than all, he says. These were the oracles of God. We're going to have to go back over the ABCs and show you that Christ is the Messiah. You haven't moved on. 
Someone wrote this, the elementary doctrines are the types and pictures of the Old Testament. Ordinances, ceremonies, feasts, sacrifices, holy days, washings, the whole thing. All of which foreshadowed Christ. And they couldn't really see who Christ was unless they understood the pictures. So he needs to show them the pictures again. So he takes the textbook with all the writing. He says, sorry, and he goes way back to the pictures. Says, you need to look at the pictures again. Now, the application of that is to us today. For it may well be, in the truth that we've received, which, by the way, includes Old and New Testament, that we're guilty of the same thing. We are dull of hearing. And instead of being those who understand and communicate to others God's truth, we actually need to be schooled again in the ABCs. We have no excuse. We have resources without restriction. We have time. We have every encouragement. We have a very benign society in relation to your personal Christian disciplines. You will not be persecuted for reading your Bible and praying or studying the Bible. You will not have folk breaking down your door and taking your resources and your Bible from you. You won't be breaking any laws by so doing. We have a very, we have no excuse. None whatsoever. Some of the people I meet in my travels have every excuse, humanly speaking. They work far longer. They have a Bible and nothing else. And the Bible itself is sometimes not the best translation. If they are found in Bible study or public preaching, then there is formal persecution. We have no excuse. But I wonder who has the sharper hearing? Us or them? Us or them? Who's to be schooled again? Who needs to go back to the basics? Who knows the basics? I never forget in Indonesia, in Jakarta, and I'd been uh, with these Christians for quite a while over the years, and go back and forward. And I remember going one time and thinking that, you know, when I, when I teach that it's pretty basic stuff, and then asked them what they like, and they'd said to me that they'd be very interested uh, going into the book of Daniel in these 70 weeks. What they're all like. <laughs> and I realised, hold on a minute here. There is a greater depth of understanding than I've been giving them credit for. Who needs to be taken back to school? So then the question is, how do you become dull of hearing? How does that work? Well, in verse 13 to verse 14, he tells us that dullness of hearing is an evidence of immaturity. For everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. So now he's going to use this milk and meat analogy that he that is often used in Scripture to speak about the, the, the digestive capacity of the individual. So that obviously the, the baby cannot digest and receive what an adult can. So the diet is different because of the capacity, the ability to 
process and digest. So how do you get your spiritual digestive system mature? How do you get that? How do you move from only being able to cope and understand and process the milk onto the meat? So he says, everyone that useth milk is unskillful. So if you are using milk, now let me just say that in terms of spiritual maturity, there is appropriate immaturity. So when someone has become a Christian, they're described as a newborn babe, and that's appropriate, and you wouldn't want it any other way. These were different. These were people who should have known better, who had been taught. But he says, you're still using milk. Why are you still using milk? For this reason, everyone that useth milk is characterized by this. They are unskillful in the word of righteousness. Now, that word unskillful is a very strong, negative word, which means not experienced. Does not have experience. So read it this way. Everyone that uses milk is characterized by this. They most certainly do not have experience of the word of righteousness. Because the effect of the word of righteousness will be to draw them from the milk to the meat. Now, what's the word of righteousness? That word logos, characterized by righteousness. And in chapter 6, verse 1, it's the principles of the doctrine of Christ, which seems a very heavy word. So the word of righteousness, now it could be the objective idea of the word concerning the righteousness that you receive when you become a Christian. Imputed righteousness, it could be that. Or it could also be righteousness lived out day by day, practical sanctification and righteousness, difference between right and wrong, your moral compass. Now, both are actually true. It's hard to know which one is actually in context. Both are true because you can't separate them, really. You can have no true moral compass unless you have been justified by faith and have been recipient of that imputed righteousness. So he says this, you, you don't have experience of the word. It's revelation, it's disclosure, it's impact upon you. He says you're a babe, you're immature. You shouldn't be. Inappropriate immaturity in verse 14. So he says, and strong meat belongs to them that are of full age. So he says, obviously, strong meat is for those who are more mature. Then he describes that maturity in this way so he's described the immaturity in verse 13 he now describes the maturity in verse 14 even those okay who are you talking about who are those who are of full age who does the strong meat belong to even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil now what does this mean by reason of use that refers to, it can refer to a habit of the body or mind. So we just use the word habitual, reason of use. So he's speaking about the habitual use of senses, which are vigorously exercised. That results in the ability to discriminate between good and evil. And I judge in this context, teaching. 
What's the word senses? We'll bring this back in a minute. What's the word senses? That's the ability to understand the nature of something. So this sense is developed only by attaining real maturity in the scriptures and practicing it. Practicing it habitually. It's the same word as the word discernment. This I pray that you love me abounds still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment. So gather this up. He says, strong meat belongs to them who are mature, those who are full age, even those who by reason of use, by habitual use, the habit, the use of their senses, the ability to discern, by reason of use have their senses exercised. That's the word trained. And the word gymnastic comes from the same word. So it's the, it's the, the training of the, gymna, the gymnast. It's the gymnasium. Gymnasio, I think the word is. And it means to exercise bodily and is often described in an athlete exercising in the gym. Now, in context, not application, in context, listen to this. Here refers to the struggles of the soul. The battle between the determination of the Jew to go back to the temple sacrifices and thus escape the persecution or go on to faith in the high priest of the New Testament in spite of the persecution. It's the agony. What is it for us by way of application? What is the pathway to maturity? What is the characteristic of maturity? It's those who habitually exercise their senses, their discernment, and train themselves by the application of the word of God in their life. It's taken the Bible, to paraphrase, it's taken the Bible and putting it into practice. So that when you come to the Bible as a babe in Christ and you're receiving the milk, so you have been taught truth you've never heard before. You're spiritually immature. You've not, not long been a Christian. And you're receiving this information and it doesn't just stay in your head. It affects your heart and your will. So let me try and illustrate so that when you then walk into college, university or the workplace and you're faced with a decision, whatever it is, it doesn't matter, but it's a right and wrong issue. Just to get the idea, it's a right and wrong and so you take what you have learned from the Bible and you put it into practice in that situation. And then you do that repeatedly so that it becomes habitual. It's the habit. And what you find then is that when you come to the word of God, you discover this, that you begin to mature as a Christian. And your ability to assimilate grows. Your ability and capacity to receive grows because you are growing as a Christian by the practice, the habitual implementation of the word of righteousness in your life. It's, it's really difficult to do. And that's why so many of us are spiritually immature. Because it's easier not to do it. It's easier to read the Bible and not actually, 
when your will is challenged to submit to it. It's easier not to do it than it is to do it. Those who are mature spiritually, who go on, who actually find the Bible just a storehouse, a treasure house, appealing, sweet. Those that you perhaps aspire to be like when you know them and you find this, they've got an appetite for the word of God that you just don't have. And then when they speak to you about the scriptures, you just can't contextualize what they're saying because you don't, you, you're not mature in the scriptures and, and it doesn't mean the same thing to you as it obviously does to them. If someone comes up to you and starts speaking about the feasts of Jehovah, you've not the foggiest notion what they're talking about. I remember listening to some of the prayers of men in this hall, actually, when I was younger. And they'd be saying things that I didn't have the first notion what they were talking about in the morning meeting when we were worshipping the Lord. And they'd be, they'd be quoting things from the feasts and the offerings and this kind of thing and get on about the value of salt and the absence of, of honey and all that in the offering and the meal offering and so on. Not a clue. You see, they had, they had been in the scriptures. They had been obedient to what they had learned. They had grown in maturity. They were, they were able to digest. They had a capacity. And, and they, they, they received so much more from God through his word. The deep things of Christ, the things of substance about Christ. The writer to these people says this, I can't take you there. Can't take you there. We need to go back to the picture book again. Because you're dull of hearing. You're dull of hearing because you have not been practicing, not been implementing, not been exercised by, not been using what you've been receiving. You've maybe been at the best like the botanist and you've got a notebook full of notes. But in terms of the notebook compared to the life, there's a huge gap. There's a huge gap. And that's an important thing. And so, let me just quote you some verses about that whole process. And notice how the language is decisive and active, not passive. So this is responsibility. So Peter says this, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, antipocrisies, envies, evil speakings. So he says a whole lot of stuff you need to get rid of. There's a whole lot of bad stuff going on there. As newborn babes, he says, you're still spiritually immature. You've got all that stuff going on. There's the evidence of your maturity, you're backbiting, you're gossiping, you're full of envy, there's nastiness coming out of you. There's guile, there's, there's, there's schemes and hypocrisies. He says, you need to desire the sincere milk of the word so that you can grow up. Listen to Ephesians 4, this is Paul, same idea. He speaks about till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a mature man, 
unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, Christ-likeness, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine, by the slate of men and cunning craftiness. He says, there's folk tying you up in knots. And they're telling you one thing as if it's doctrine, another thing, and you're not grounded in the truth yourself. He says, they're deceiving you. He says, you need to speak the truth in love that you may grow up into him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. And so... In terms of interpretation, you can see this idea in Galatians in relation to those who were leaving behind all of Judaism coming to Christ. But in application here, Paul and Peter both bring the same principle to bear upon us as Christians, which is we need to grow up. So we would need to challenge ourselves, I think, and some of us are older than others in this room. So the question is just this. Just let your mind run the teaching that you've received, that I've received. How long has it been? The writer says, it's been a long time you've been listening or reading for a long time. What difference has it made? Not to what you know, but to who you are. What difference has it made? Not to what you can say, but to what you think. What you think. So to the very core of your being. This isn't behaviour modification, right to the very core of who you are. And is, are you in a process which is positive and upward? doesn't matter really at what point in that process, but are you in a process, Christ-likeness is up there, we're down here, are we on that process of maturity? Are we becoming more like the Lord? That's what it's all about. Are we becoming more like the Lord? Or have we got halfway up the hill and now we've just slithered all the way back down again? I says you're going to have to start again. Because you may have heard these things, but you haven't put them into practice, so we're back at basics again. ABCs of the Oracles of God. You see, getting to know things in your head doesn't take you up that path of maturity. There are some very, very immature people who know the Bible inside out, upside down, can quote you and reams of it. That's not what the Bible's all about. That's not the purpose of the Bible. The Bible is actually to impact, to change, to mould and shape us as people. So the question is not what I know. The question is the change in me. The change in me as a person. The change which manifests itself in behaviour. Which manifests itself in language and thoughts and motives. And the whole thing. The whole thing. And so the writer has stopped. And here's his challenge. And the challenge here is you need to clean the ears out if we are dull of hearing. There needs to be some work done. What a challenge to me, what a challenge to you. I trust that we'll be taken as such as from the Lord. Let's just pray.